0: Uh, encouraging uh, chapters, you might say, in the Old Testament, uh, 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 multiple pictures of, uh, of uh, forgiveness, and then the introduction of the servant, the branch, at the end. Zechariah chapter three. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of Yahweh, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, Satan, Indeed, Yahweh, who has chosen Israel or chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand delivered from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have made your iniquity pass away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of Yahweh was standing by. And the angel of Yahweh testified to Joshua saying, thus says Yahweh of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and if you will keep the responsibility given by me, then you will also render justice in my house and also keep my courts and I will grant you access to walk among these who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have put before Joshua on one stone or seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares Yahweh of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, every one of you will call for his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. We are still uh, finishing up uh, chapter 2, and, and we are, we were covering the reasons uh, to rejoice. They are uh, exhorted in uh, chapter 2 and verse 10, sing for joy and be glad, and we uh, covered the uh, a number of reasons. Uh, verse 10, Yahweh is coming to dwell with them. Uh, verse 11, A, that many nations are coming. Uh, they are going to become his people. That's the third reason to rejoice. He's going to dwell in their midst. And this is constantly repeated I'll dwell in your midst, dwell in your midst, dwell in your midst. <laughs> a- and there's also a confirmation there because he says, then you will know that God did it. And that's important that uh, we can see God is uh, active in doing things. So we come to uh, where we left off. And and, uh, uh, this is in verse 12, the inheritance and portion uh, of Yahweh. And this uh, tells the people of the complete restoration uh, of the way things have been. He says, I will again... uh, Uh, choose Jerusalem. Uh, I'll have Judah for my inheritance. Uh, And the Israelites and God's people have always been his inheritance, his portion. They always have been. And and this is just a reiteration. And he's saying, I'm going to bring things back to the the way they should be. You've always been my people. You've always been my inheritance, but I'm going to restore it uh, completely. Uh, There's too many sample texts there's maybe 20 or more but deuteronomy 32 9 says for yahweh's portion is his people jacob is the allotment of his inheritance they already were his inheritance and his people psalm 28 9 save your people and bless your inheritance be their shepherd also and carry them uh, forever uh, jeremiah uh, twelve seven through through 9 i have forsaken my house I have abandoned my inheritance. I have given the beloved of my soul in the hand of her enemies. See that it didn't change it. It didn't change it. He didn't say, I got rid of these people. He says, no, I've given them away. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has given forth its voice against me. Therefore, I have come to hate her. Is my inheritance like a speckled bird of prey to me? Are the birds of prey against her on every side? Go gather all the beasts of the field, bring them to devour. So they were his inheritance, even though Jeremiah says uh, God was judging them. Uh, Joel 2.17, this is a part of the verse. And let them say, Pity your people, O Yahweh, and do not make your inheritance a reproach. But this uh, idea is also reciprocal, because Lamentations uh, 3.24, the person says, the Lord is my portion. God is my inheritance. It's reciprocal. I will be your God. You will be my people. A New Testament expression of it is found in Titus 2.14. And purify himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good works. God makes uh, uh, makes people uh, for his own possession. And then the fourth exhortation is found in verse 13, you remember last week, I first thought there was three and then four. And this is, be silent all flesh before Yahweh, for he is aroused uh, from his holy habitation. Uh, a contrast with, uh, with verse 10. How do you rejoice but remain silent? But it's really our two postures before the Lord. We rejoice in our salvation, but we're silent and humbled about it, aren't we? We can't talk about the cross of Christ without rejoicing, but we can't go to the cross of Christ and think that what a mess. Uh, I don't know if Dr. Sproul said it first, uh, but one of the one of those men says the only thing you brought for your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And that's a very humbling thing. But but God is at work. When we see God working, we should rejoice, but we also should be humbled. We also should say, Look, God is aroused. He's w- working. Habakkuk 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Judgments and mercies of the Lord are are, are always in a balance. Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent before Yahweh Elohim, before the day of Yahweh is near. Yahweh has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Micah 1.2 and 3. God calls all flesh he says, I'm coming out of my place to act, and everyone uh, should take notice. All, his, all flesh, all the enemies, uh, Yahweh moves. He accomplishes all his purposes. Nothing can keep him from doing uh, all that he has planned. When We see things that, uh, that happen in the world. We know God has acted in, in the storm, in the earthquake, in many, many, many ways. And in our hearts we know the Lord, nobody but the Lord has done this. Uh, And we can see it. We should reverently hear the command and be silent before him. He comes from his holy habitation and works among men. And uh, Richard Phillips says, Surely this speaks to the character of true worship. The Lord is the focus of what we are doing. And we are attentive to him. We are still before the Lord because his activity is what matters and not ours. His word is what we need to hear and understand, not ours. His presence calms our fears and stills the torrents of our soul uh, as no human therapy ever could. And and then we come to uh, chapter 3, the vision uh, of Joshua the High Priest. Uh, This really is a special uh, chapter and full uh, of hope and full of uh, illustration, uh, Robert Hawker says, "This is a most blessed and highly instructive vision, for the doctrine of it is very plain." Uh, in this day and age, people aren't used to using that that word, doctrine. When, when Russ says, the doctrine I want to teach you today, he's not talking about we're coming up with this new theological thing. It's, it's just the teaching of it. It's just the gist of it. It's just what this means, what you want to take home. And, and that's how Hawker is using it. He says, the doctrine of it is very plain. And like the vision of another prophet, he that runs may read it. Uh, uh, Jehovah Yahweh told Habakkuk to write down the vision and put it in large letters so that the person that runs uh, can read it. Like like an ancient billboard, you can't pass by without seeing what the message is. You can't pass by. The characters are so big uh, that you can see the message. And Hawker is saying, this passage is so plain, you you can't miss it. Uh, T.V. Moore talks about this vision being clear, and he says, perhaps for the reason that its truth lies nearer, the deepest throbbings of the human heart. What are the deepest throbbings of our heart? How should a sinner be right with God? That's that's what he's getting at. to, To see somebody forgiven of sin is the most interested we should be in anything. Well, tell me about forgiveness. That's my issue. I'm a sinner. I see it every day. I've broken God's law. This has happened. And now here's a picture, a whole chapter that's showing a sinner who's who's forgiven, that, that's right there in my heart because I see it all the time. A sense of sin and a feeling of hopelessness, ill desert, are among the deepest emotions of the heart that has been touched by the Holy Spirit. Peter preached in the day of Pentecost, and it says they were pricked in their hearts, and they said, what must we do to be saved? Please tell us right now. Because this hopeless feeling of ill-desert, this feeling of a sense of sin, has overcome us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we want to find out how to be saved. It's the state of the heart uh, before a holy God. Uh, The outline of the chapter, uh, just uh, Joshua's forgiveness and righteousness, a charge and admonition to Joshua, and then a, a proclamation of Yahweh's plans. Those are just uh, just my words. But uh, notice, first of all, Joshua's forgiveness and righteousness, verses 1 through 5. The participants and their actions. There's Zechariah. There's the angel who talked with me. Uh, there's Joshua the high priest. There's the angel of Yahweh, which is Jesus throughout this passage. Uh, there's Satan and Yahweh, because Yahweh speaks on, on his own as well as uh, the angel of Yahweh saying what Yahweh says. So, Zechariah is just shown the vision. The angel who talks with him showed him the vision. Uh, Joshua, the high priest, is standing there. The angel of Yahweh, uh, Jesus, is in front of Joshua. Uh, uh, Yahweh is there in the background. He will speak, and Satan is standing at his right. So you can picture it. Here's the angel of the Lord. There's Joshua. And Satan is right there at his right. Well, that would be over there. He's right there, ready to accuse. What a picture. Uh, Then the place. Some say that it's the temple, but the positions of the participants uh, suggest and make it look like a a courtroom. And that would be the other other idea. It doesn't seem like he's in the temple. There's There's nothing there of the temple, but it looks like this court person standing here, accused, somebody uh, who is accusing the accused. He's standing before the judge with the accuser at the right. And still today, they do that, right? The the accuser is on the right and the person that's being charged is on the left. That's how they do it in in courts. Uh, But notice next, uh, the charges. And you say, well, Satan's standing there, but he never says anything. And uh, you could say, that he's at his right hand to accuse, he's at his right hand to oppose, but he doesn't give a formal charge. Uh, uh, but he's ready to. And uh, there are a number of things that he could uh, uh, accuse uh, Joshua of. You, you know in your heart, and your soul, the accusations of the devil and how he picks at you, right? He comes up with more things than you can think of, can't, can't he? And so th- there's some possibilities. They stopped building the, the uh, temple after they built the altar. So the devil could say, look, you, you stopped. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to bring back worship, but you stopped. They also uh, feared, feared the other nations. And in Haggai says they were complacent, weren't they? They went about their own business and they stopped. The devil could have said, you, you stopped. You got afraid. You're scared. What kind of high priest are you? Uh, in Ezra 10, 18, it says his sons took other wives. Now, the, there's the timing of Ezra 10 might be past this time, but maybe there's something in the background there. There's other accusations uh, that, that lie that, uh, and lies that the devil could bring up. They're, they're in this post-exilic time. It's not a good time. And the devil could say, look, you're just like them. God sent the whole nation and they got judged by Babylon and you're no different. It's going to happen again. He's going to take this place apart again. But the only obvious one, the final one, is his garment because he's standing there in a filthy garment. Verse 2 is Yahweh's response. No charges have been offered And no charges stick. And it's not because there's a technicality. Uh, You know those things, right? Even sometimes on television, they'll have that. And the criminal gets away because of a technicality. And you say, that's not fair. That's not justice. And we struggle with justice in our day all the time. It's not because of a technicality, but Joshua gets off because of covenant mercy and grace of God. First of all, Yahweh speaks. Yahweh, rebuke you, O Satan. He rebukes him. Don't come around trying to accuse my servants. There's no conditions that you can mention that, that will change what's going to happen. And numerous passages speak of this rebuke. This is this is God saying, stop. This is God saying, that's it. Uh, the the word is probably different, but it says Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. And what did they immediately do? They stopped. The Gospel of Mark says, great storm, mega storm. And what happened after he rebuked mega calm. It went from a storm that they were afraid to die to the whole sea was like glass, just like that. And that's not the characteristic of water. And that's why they said, who is this that wind and wave obey him? And God is saying to Satan, you've come far enough and no further. It says, Yahweh, who has chosen Jerusalem. He's saying, this is the place where I have chosen. This is where, despite their sin, I will show my glory. I will be in their midst and I'll demonstrate forgiveness. God says, stop And he says, this is the place where it's all going to happen. This is the place where I'm going to demonstrate. Because what they did was they took the place that I promised my presence and they trashed it with idolatry. They trashed it with disobedience. They trashed it with saying, God really can't do anything to us. We're his chosen people. And it stirred up his wrath and he took the place apart and and knocked it down. There's no more temple left. No more walls. But he says, I've chosen Jerusalem. And and if you look down the corridors of of history, you could see the covenant, can't you? You could see this is covenant mercy. This isn't because of the people. God says, I'm in the process of restoration and no one is going to stop me. And then, he asked this question, is this not a brand plucked or delivered from the burning? Uh, Other Uh, verses have intimated this, God could have wiped them completely off the face of the earth. We looked at a a verse uh, a while back from Romans 9 and from Isaiah. It says, if God didn't intervene, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. There wouldn't have been one Israelite left. Think about that. But it's because of his mercy. It's because he leaves a remnant. It's because he will keep a people who he'll keep and save the people who he will save. The whole nation was almost destroyed. And God says, this is what it's like. Here's a fire and there's sticks burning in it. And the one stick that I'm going to pull out is already on fire. And it's as if I reach in and I take it. The thing's still smoldering on the end. And God asked the devil, isn't this just like that? I'm pulling this nation out of the fire. I am doing my work. It's just a charred piece of wood, a firebrand, a a piece that's in flames already, a a burning stick that's on the way to be fully consumed, and God says, not going to happen. The word pluck or snatch means to quickly or suddenly remove someone from a, a dangerous or unpleasant situation. That's the picture. It does all these things. It frustrates Satan's efforts. It comforts God's people. It shows mercy. It demonstrates Yahweh's action, plans, purposes, and covenant. It stands as a great illustration of grace. What what were we? What was I? What were you? Oh, I was into this. I was doing this. I was doing that. Right? One more drunken drive in the car could have been your last. You were a brand plucked from the burning too. Where, Where were you going with your life? Well, I wasn't serving the Lord, I was thinking all about myself. Well, you're on fire. You need to be plucked from the from the fire. It's a great illustration of grace, and it reminds us of God's power also. Because now, when you're snatched out of the fire, you can't be snatched. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never Perish, and no one will do what? Snatch them out of my hand. I'm going to, I'm taking you out and you'll never be snatched away again. What a, what a promise. What a blessing. Eternally secure in Christ. And that's the, that's what God's saying. This is what I'm doing. A brand plucked from the, the burning. But Amos 4 and 11 is a, is a warning. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a brand plucked from the burning yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. (coughs) Here's the opposite. I took you and threw you in. Uh, Jude 22 and 23. Interestingly, Jude must have studied Zechariah and have mercy on those who doubt save others by snatching them out of the fire. Here's a Christian brother or sister is walking in difficulty. They're they're doubting. They they have fears. They they have unbelief. They're caught in a sin. You go to them and you help them. You grab them and you pull them back. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even what the garment stained by the flesh. That's Joshua's problem. He's wearing a filthy garment. So Jude said, "Oh, I remember those pictures from Zechariah. There's a snatching and there's a garment picture." And that's what he says. Thanks be to God in the church in Sardis, it says there's still people who have not soiled their garments. The graphic picture uh, of a graphic picture of the defilement. And then we come to the glaring problem we saw the participants, we saw what Yahweh said, now with the problem. He's clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. It's a realistic picture of our sin problem, isn't it? If, if, I, if I did some painting around the house and two weeks later I came and there was a smudge of paint over here, and the smudge in my hair, it seems like I always get it someplace. And and the uh, smudge over here. Y- y- you'd say, what, what are you doing in front of all people with, with smudges? With smudges of paint? Oh, I was painting around the house. Well, You didn't take the time to clean yourself up? You haven't taken a shower? You haven't done that? Well, that's the picture. But he's before Yahweh. He's before the angel of the Lord. And the devil's right there saying, hey, hey, look, look. dirty garments even using the same word Isaiah says all our righteousness is as filthy rags it's a clear picture of the level of sin and guilt and it's not like it's not like our courtrooms today right they clean up the criminal don't they you say wait a minute that can't be the guy that's arrested he's got a tie and a suit on, his hair's all cut, it's all slicked back and nice, that's the criminal? Well, that's, a, that's, the, that's the ploy, isn't it? You better shave. You have a nice baby face when you shave. Yeah, who would, who would convict this innocent-looking guy? It's all a sham, it's all fake, but Joshua cannot hide his sin, and we cannot hide our sin either. We can't clean ourselves up. This also, you can't clean the criminal, but it shows like the person who's caught in the act. Uh, he robbed a bank, and he's got the he's got the bills sticking out of his pockets. He he beat somebody up or murdered somebody. He's got the blood from the crime scene on his shirt, and the devil is standing right there. And wants to accuse him. He's standing before the angel of the Lord, the one will pass sentence in full view with filthy garments. Full view. And also, not only dirty garments, not only standing before the angel, but Joshua is a representative of all the people. That's what he is. He's a representative of all the people. That's what makes it worse. If he's standing there, I'm standing there. If he's standing there, you're standing there. What were they trying to do? They were trying to restore the temple. They were trying to restore worship. And the picture is that the high priest has filthy garments of sin. Moore says he represents the people in his character as priest. And the priesthood in his character... High priest, double levels. High priest, I represent all the priesthood. And as a priest in general, I represent all the people down there. Everybody. The representative character must be carefully noted It is as it contains the essence of the vision. You can't see him without seeing the rest more saying it. That's right. He's a representative. So Moore says he's a representative of the people. What did he do? He failed. He's sinful. He's got a filthy garment. Oh, he's a representative of the whole priesthood. What did he do? He failed. He's sinful. And as the high priest, he's the one that's supposed to go in every year and, and offer the, the most special, the most sacred uh, uh, offering that, that, that they had. How does that work out? Hebrews 7, 27. Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, what? First for his own sin and then for the sins of the people. He's crippled himself. He can't offer sin. In the argument of Hebrews, now he's going to say, well, I'll tell you about somebody who never sinned, your perfect high priest. But this guy, he had to do what everybody else had to do. He had to find a lamb, he had to kill it, he had to offer it, and that was for him. And then he could go and offer for somebody else. Now he's behind in that. He's the high priest and he's a disgrace to the priesthood. He's the high priest, he's a disgrace to all the people, and he's not cleaned himself. What kind of offering for sin does a high priest with filthy garments offer? You say, he can't do that. Oh, he's like, the, he's like the philandering pastors that we talk about. Everything they say from the pulpit is, is a sham. Because Sunday, they're preaching. Tuesday, they're meeting somebody at a motel. That's, that's a sham. That's a disgrace. And, and that's the picture. So there he is. Three serious conditions. Filthy garments. He's standing before the angel of the Lord. And he's representative. But what, what's Satan's problem? The Satan's problem is Yahweh's mercy. What's what's Satan ready to do? He's ready to start to accuse. I got a long list, Judge. Judge, I got uh, charges. And you know what they do, right? Uh, they tack them on. They tack the charges on to build up the case. So now you were speeding, but then your taillight is out. Then you didn't have the right documentation. Then you did this. Then you did that. Well, now you're standing there for four things. Well, that's what the devil wants to do. Stack it all up. We got all this against you. But the accusation has been denied. And notice, notice what the devil has said that, that he does. Revelation twelve ten, For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accused them before our God day and night. Day and night, 24-7, accusing the brothers, accusing the brethren. That's the devil's role. Whether it's with lies, whether it's with slyness, that's what he did. That's why he's going to get thrown down. We'll, we'll see that very soon. We're at Revelation 12. And it's it's encouraging to us that, first of all, God said, you're rebuked. And second of all, Revelation 12 says, eventually, he'll be thrown down. You Can you imagine that? there'll be a day when you don't hear those insinuations. Can you imagine? There'll be a day when you're free from your own conscience and the accusing of the devil. Amazing. Relentless 24 by 7 accusations of God's people. Lies and slyness, cunning, all the tools that he uses, all the assault, uh, in general, on each person. But we have to be careful 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 11, uh, Paul says, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Th- that's important for us. What is he doing? What does the picture tell us? Well, he's ready to accuse. He's ready to blame. He's ready to tell the judge and the sinner he cannot be forgiven. That's what he's ready to do. That Paul says we are not ignorant of of his schemes. If you want to see how many schemes the devil has, please, uh, you can find a book by Thomas Brooks called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, and you, you will not, you'll find out how many there are. Or, well, there's more than what he says, but some of them are very interesting. The one I remember is, he, will, he presents the bait but hides the hook. It's just a fishing illustration, but that's what the devil does. Hey, you want this? Look, 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 look. Do you think when David looked across the, the, the roof and saw a, a, a bathing Bathsheba that he, that, he saw, that he saw the hook, that he saw how far sin would take him? Never did. Sin takes us much, much farther than we want to go. And then the devil says, you can't go back. You can't go back. You can't be restored. It's all lies, 24-7. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Man to man, Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. False teachers are out there too. And of Satan in Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes... I need to have God's armor on me because the devil is doing what to me? Scheming, scheming, scheming. A scheme is a plan that has an object or goal. And and that's that says it all, right? That says it all. What's the object? What's Satan's goal? I just want this person's spiritual life to be just so like dull. They're not, they're not doing anything that's sinful, but they're addicted to going to the gym. And they spend hours and hours and hours. And I'm just going to lull them to sleep because they're too tired to read their Bible. They're too tired to pray. I'm going to use something else. And, And he figures it, he figures it all out. A plan with an object or goal. But notice... His view of what was going on, it should have been, right? A a, a smug lawyer would say, oh, this is a slam dunk case. The guy's got dirty garments. The money's hanging out of his pockets. There's blood from the scene of the crime. Uh, uh, Satan would say, this is open and shut. Case closed, judge. Case closed. Look at the guy. But it's not. All the evidence is right in view of the entire courtroom. The judge he would say, look at him, there's no scheming, I don't have to scheme, I don't have to accuse, look at his clothes. But the angel of the Lord and Yahweh acknowledged the situation, but provide a merciful remedy. Now, for us, it's not an excuse, it's not an excuse, this isn't one of those things where we say, well, oh, maybe we should sin so that grace will abound. No, that's not it at all. Uh, This is a terrible, sad picture because of the courtroom scene and because of everything that's going on, because of the participants, because of everything that we've looked at. It's not an excuse for justification of sin. Well, Joshua, the high priest, and, and all the Israelites, and you mentioned David. It's not an excuse. Be the David of the Psalms and not the David on the roof that day. God have mercy on us if we ever were like that. Kings were supposed to go out to war. He was supposed to be with the army. And he's sitting there just like that. At one point, his conscience bothered him. He cut a piece of Saul's garment off. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's God's anointed. Months later, years later, what did he do? I see a woman bathing and I call her over. I'm going to commit adultery with her, and then I'm going to kill her husband. That plan was never in his mind. But there he is right there, dirty clothes. And Nathan finally comes to him and says, you are the man. You're the man. Hawker focuses on Christ like he always does. Hawker says, do not overlook also how the Lord Jesus is unceasingly engaged to rebuke Satan and to thwart Satan. What though Satan stand day and night to accuse, Jesus is always on the throne to justify. No accusation of Satan can escape his knowledge or be unanswered by Christ's advocacy and then he says, sweet thought. All those, all those accusations, take it up with Christ. I'm covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my intercessor. He says, rebuke you, O Satan. The scripture tells me to resist you and you'll flee. So you better start on your way because I'm resisting. And Christ is resisting. And I can plead to him to help me to resist. And then we'll uh, just touch on the gracious solution. So the gracious solution is is in verse 4 and 5. Here's the remedy. There's a removal of filthy garments, a removal of iniquity. He's clothed with festal garments or rich garments. And and then he gets a clean turban in verse 5. So uh, first of all, this is directed by the angel of the Lord. Or Yahweh, who was the last one to speak. And, and, there's, and there's the beginning of the restoration. And he answered and spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Now, all of a sudden, it seems like there's a lot of people. Those who were standing before him, actually in the participants, I didn't, I didn't put them in. But there's more people around. The command is that the picture of sin is removed In the removal of the filthy garments. What are we going to do with the sin? What are we going to do with the guy who was caught in the act? What do we do with the guy with the filthy garments? We take those garments off. That's the first thing. Get rid of those garments. It's a picture of removal of sin. Jesus told the guy that they lowered down. My son, your sins are forgiven. Boy, they went nuts, didn't they? Well, they went nuts in their minds. I don't think they spoke. I think he read their thoughts. But uh but he says, but he says, Well, is it easier to forgive sin or say you will be healed? But so that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin, I'll I'll get him to stand up too. The removal of filthy garments verifies Yahweh's power and Jesus' power to remove uncleanness and sin. If you're troubled with sin, where are you going to go? Oh, I heard about this new book that's out. No. Go to the cross. Go to Christ. Plead with Christ. He's the one that can do it. That's where your clear conscience is going to come from. Please plead with Yahweh and say, look. Look at these garments. I can't go around like this. Look what I have on. Everybody by nature has it on. Everybody by nature is polluted. Everybody has filthy garments. And and can you imagine, can you imagine that Revelation gives us a picture of people that haven't soiled their garments and if you persevere to the end, you'll be given white garments. Garments that are permanent. That's the idea. The glorious solution, first of all, is the removal of Filthy garments, and, and we'll stop there. The rest of it is is just as full and encouraging as these first two things. The removal of filthy garments, and then comes the confirmation that the sin is removed. And, and we know by the promises of the Scripture that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us uh, from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in this portion of Scripture, how rich and full it is. To see your forgiveness and your, your love towards sinners. We're, we're thankful uh, that you are the rebuker of Satan. But you also are the definer of Satan. You have shown us what he's about and what he plans to do. Help us to thwart his efforts. Help us to be more fully uh, uh, in knowledge of your grace and mercy. How, how full and free it is. How wonderful it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.